Good morning. If I could sum everything up this morning in one word, it would be finally. Finally, I get to preach to faces. Finally, you get to see each other face to face. Finally, we are back together, albeit with some restrictions or limitations, but still, maybe this is the first step forward in continuing to meet together and add other things back as we go along. I want to say thank you so much to our, our shepherds who have done a great job leading us through this pandemic, making decisions that quite honestly are no-win situations sometimes. No matter what decision you make, somebody's going to probably disagree, but I'm so thankful for their leadership and their guidance. And in our last meeting when we talked about when to get back together, uh, I think one of the prevailing sentiments was the disconnect is getting to us as much as maybe the virus. And so um, I'm glad that we're back together. I also want to say to all of those who are watching online who may not feel comfortable coming back together, certainly keep doing what you're doing. We want you to feel comfortable. We want you to be well. And so um, I'm just excited that we can have this, this avenue together this morning. Uh, we are in the middle of a series that I was hoping to start. Well, we did start on January the 3rd, but I was hoping we'd start it as we're all together, but it didn't quite work out that way. And so this morning, we're in the middle of this. I love my church. And I said in the first lesson, some people may retort and say, well, it's not really our church, it's Jesus' church. No, I, just, I disagree with that to some degree. It is Jesus' church, he is the head of it, but you know, we talk about the Dallas Cowboys like my team, and you know, we, we, we personalize things, don't we? And we should the church as well. This is our church. This is my church. And we should be proud of that. We should be proud to be a Christian that is a part of the Lord's church and make it our own. And that's, that's an exciting thing. And so this morning we're going to talk about something that Maybe you hadn't heard a lesson on it very few times, if any, and that is loving yourself. Uh, before we jump headlong into the lesson, I want to show you a picture. And before he puts it up on the screen, I want to warn you. This may be the cutest thing you've seen in a long time, okay? Are you ready? Here it is. This is Narwhal. Narwhal, as you can see, has an extra appendage between his eyes. It's a tail. Now, this tail doesn't wag, it doesn't have any muscle in it or anything, it just hangs there. Now, it doesn't bother Narwhal. In fact, Narwhal is a healthy, happy puppy who runs around, chews on the furniture, plays with his toys. This extra appendage does nothing to affect his livelihood. In fact, it makes him cuter, doesn't it? It makes him unique, it makes him different, and it makes him one of a kind. What if we could be like Narwhal? What if we could see ourselves in the same way? Or maybe what if we could be oblivious about ourselves even though we're pretty odd? This extra appendage between Narwhal's eyes is not a rose. It's not a diamond. It's the back of him on the front of him. And it doesn't seem to affect him at all. How much different would we be if we didn't think so much about ourselves? And typically, you know what I'm talking about, we think less of ourselves, we deal with guilt and shame. Wouldn't it be nice if we saw ourselves the way Narwhal sees himself? I want to ask you this morning, how much do you love you? You right now, not the you of the past, 
Not the you of what you can be, but the you right now. How much do you love you? Now, for some, the answer to that question is going to be not much. I mean, you don't like to look in a mirror. You don't want to see yourself any more than you have to. You don't want to come to terms with who you are because you just don't like yourself that much. You've been told all of your life you're too short, you're too fat, you're too uh, skinny, you don't have enough hair, you know, whatever it may be, and you believed it. You've bought in to what others have said about you. Others, it's not that way. Some people can strut sitting down, can't they? Some people have no trouble looking in a mirror. In fact, they try to look at every one of them they can to see how great they are. They walk by businesses and they look in the window to check themselves to make sure that they still look good. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way is their theme song. They're so vain, they probably think the sermon is about them. They give self-love a bad name. But then there's this. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Well, no problem there. I don't like myself at all. I have no problem propping other people up because I'm the lowest of the low. I'm on the bottom rung of the ladder. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. But is that how Paul intended for us to to see this passage? To use it as justification for self-loathing? Then Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Ignore yourself despise yourself, hate yourself? Is that what Jesus intended by these words? I don't think so. And the reason why I don't think so is because of Mark chapter 12, where it reads, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus says that the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor, love others. That is the essence of Christianity. As we have said so many times, when you boil it all down, in a nutshell, Christianity is about loving God and loving other people. And how am I supposed to love my neighbor? Well, at least as much as I love myself, right? I mean, that's what it says. It seems that for Jesus, loving yourself is a given. And Paul uses similar language in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Husbands, how much are you to love your wife? At least as much as you love yourself. Paul assumes that there is a certain amount of self-loving going on, at least to keep yourself alive. You're going to feed yourself. You're going to take care of yourself at least enough to keep on breathing, right? Here's the deal. The Bible assumes that as a species, 
we love ourselves, or at least we like ourselves. And Paul and Jesus seem to make a correlation between loving ourselves and loving others. Are they talking out of both sides of their mouth? When they talk about propping up others and regarding one another as more important than yourself, are they talking out of both sides of their mouth? I don't think so. Because the Bible's not contradictory, right? When they talk about being selfless and dying to yourself or regarding others as more important to yourselves, what I think they're saying is we have to see ourselves differently because how we see ourselves will directly affect how we see other people. And we will never treat one another right until we learn how to treat ourselves. Make sense? Now, this is a hard sell for a few reasons. And maybe you've already jumped ahead. Maybe you've been thinking about it in your mind. It's a hard sell for a few reasons because, number one, we as humans have long demonstrated that we can take anything good, a gift from God, and pervert it, right? We do this all the time. We do it with food. We do it with entertainment. We do it with sex. We can take anything and we can pervert it and make it something that it's not supposed to be or that it wasn't originally intended to be. And so we twist and we pervert uh, the things that God has given us And make it something grotesque. And self-love is no different. You know what this is, right? It's a seesaw. And on one end, you have the person who uh, who is pretty full of himself. Like we said, the person who can strut sitting down. The person that's a prima donna. They're a a self-lover. They're they're a diva. You know, they they think very highly of themselves. But on the other end of the seesaw, you have the self-loathers. You have the people who uh, think of themselves less and less every single day. The Bible says to love your enemies, and the biggest enemy they have trouble loving is themselves. And so you have two ends of the seesaw, these two extremes. And so it makes it hard for us to live by the words of Jesus, to love our neighbor as ourself. But another reason why this is hard is because we have been taught... And brought up to believe that selflessness and humility and submission are key virtues in the life of a disciple. And rightfully so. Because they are. But we tend to assume that if we're selfless and humble, if we submit and live a life of submission, we assume that means that we can't love ourselves at all. That any kind of show of love towards ourselves or loving ourselves means that we are not living by the commandments as laid out in Scripture. It's easy for us as Christians to assume a hyper-rigid stance on things, and such can be the case when it comes to concepts like submission and humility and, and, and selflessness. We almost give the impression that to be a somebody in Christ means that we have to be a nobody in life. Also, self love is a hard sell because this baggage that many of us carry around. You've heard me say it before. We're really good trash collectors, but we're terrible garbage men. We're so good at collecting all this trash in our lives, but we're really bad at setting it out by the curb for the garbage man to pick it up. We deal with the baggage of guilt and shame. Our past is something we can't get past, and we allow it to negatively affect us. One of the things that I I hear over and over again when I'm at the bedside of someone who is taking their last breaths, they'll say something like, I hope I've done enough. That's our mindset. We We don't feel worthy before God, and so therefore we feel like we always have to be doing something and making up ground because we've done so much wrong. As a result, this does harm to our relationship with God and to other people. I'm sorry, we did this for the camera on the online stuff. It's bugging me. Get this straight again. There we go. 
Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard used to tell the story of thieves who broke into a jewelry store. And they didn't break in the jewelry store to steal anything. They, they broke in and they rearranged the price tags. So something that was less expensive got tagged as being really expensive and vice versa. And Kierkegaard used this illustration to say that we live in a world that has rearranged the price tags. Oh, how true that is, even still today. Oftentimes, people are valued for the wrong reasons in our culture, or at least not for the most important reason. They're valued for what they can do, but rarely for who they are. You must be beautiful based on a mathematical equation, and yes, there are ratios to beauty. You have to be entertaining, not necessarily talented, just entertaining. If you have a lot of money, that helps. If you can't make the top 100 on some list, you're considered a nobody in our culture. But none of these things help you love yourself properly because it all boils down to this. Who are you allowing to shape you? Ask yourself the question, what are the things that make me? And there's two things in particular that we focus on. Number one, external factors. What are the external factors that make me? And I'm talking about the supply chain. What you listen to, what you read, the movies you watch, the TV shows you watch, the books you read, the podcasts you listen to. Uh, hopefully it's Dear Church, but other than that one, you know, what, what do you listen to, right? What's the supply chain? What is going into your mind? What are you filling your mind with and thus letting infiltrate your heart? What outside of you affects you? The second is internal factors. You have external, you have internal. The main things here are thoughts and feelings. You know, thoughts and feelings can shape who we are. The way we think about ourselves, the way we feel about ourselves can have a great impact on whether you love yourself. We can't always, we can't always stop a, a, a fleeting thought that comes into our minds or an impulse that broadsides us, but we have control over how we respond or the impact that it makes on our lives, right? And so we control those internal factors and we have control over our thoughts and feelings so that they don't give us an impression of ourselves that isn't true. Are you giving your thoughts and feelings undue time and attention? Listen, there's, there's only one place you go to to understand yourself. There's only one that you come face to face to, and that is Jesus Christ. You are not your bank account. You are not your GPA. You are not your mortgage. You are not your career. You are not your weight. You are who you are in Jesus Christ. What he thinks of you is the only thing that matters. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And he rejoices in the very thrill of your existence. He is your heart within your heart. Clay read from Philippians chapter 4. And I want us to read it again. But think of it in light of what we've just been talking about, okay? Read these words with me in light or the context of what we've just been mentioning. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What's the supply chain? What are you allowing in? What is infiltrating your brain and thus your heart? Control your thought life. Don't let your emotions or feelings run wild and cause you to think differently about yourself. Don't dwell on the things that cause you to be less than. Don't meditate on misery. Think on holy things, righteous things, true things, Paul says. Don't let your mind 
turn you into somebody that you don't love and respect. And also, consider what Jesus said about the first two commandments. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And consider that those two commandments are a package deal. They go together. Jesus didn't say, focus on the first one, get that one right, and once you've mastered it, then you can move on to the other. Master what it means to love God with all your being, and once you got that one down pat, then you can move on to loving others. No, it's a package deal. The two were never intended to be taken separately. They go hand in hand. Look at 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. The reason I can make the claim that these first two commandments go hand in hand is because it is reiterated over and over again in Scripture. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Then verse 15 of 1 John 3 reads, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Why, John? Why? Why is it so stinking important that I love other people? Well, verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Why must we love others? Because Jesus loved you enough to rescue you. And you love Jesus, therefore we love the people that Jesus loves. We cannot love God and not love the people that He loves. When you go and buy a car, the dealer doesn't say, well, you can have the car, but the keys are sold separately. They come together. It's a package deal. And what Jesus said about the first two commandments being the greatest, they were always intended to play off of one another. It's a package deal. They come together. God and neighbor come as a package deal in the form of Jesus. Have you ever read the parable of the Good Samaritan as if Jesus was the neighbor lying on the side of the road? You should because I think Jesus intended for the people that were hearing it to understand that he might be the one that is lying on the side of the road and the religious people, people like you and me, are the ones that walk on by, not wanting to get involved. You see, Jesus wasn't just talking to an expert in the law that day. He was talking to all of us as well. When you see Jesus lying on the side of the road, when you see anybody lying on the side of the road, you stop and help because that's who you are. You love God, you love Jesus, so you see other people the way that God and Jesus see other people. Remember when Jesus said, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me in prison, and you came to me. The sheep were confused by this. They're like, well, I think we would have remembered Jesus if we did that to you. And Jesus is saying, no, you did do it to me. Because, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Jesus is showing himself in our neighbor. He is our neighbor. God is our neighbor. So loving God and loving our neighbor is a package deal. And you notice what loving our neighbor is predicated upon. Loving yourself. You love yourself and that makes you a better lover of other people. The implication is crystal clear. You cannot properly love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. Do you believe that? Again, that's a hard sell, right? But do you believe that? Because here's the truth. Hurt people hurt people. They do. Hurt people 
hurt people? Do you like to be around someone who is constantly bitter and angry? We don't want to be around people like that. People with a low self-esteem have a tougher time functioning in society. Individuals who have been beaten down their entire lives have a difficult time investing in other people. People who have been betrayed by those they love may have severe trust issues. Others' love starts with self-love. A healthy love of self that sees me the way that God sees me, which was stamped in His image, and so valuable that He sent His Son to die for me. That's what we're talking about here. And the next time you are told that you should live for others and discredit yourself and, and, and not like yourself and because you're only supposed to love other people, then consider what Jesus said in reverse. Take the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, and reverse the order. What do you get? Love yourself as your neighbor. In other words, you regard yourself as the first neighbor that God has commanded you to love. You see, the way this is often presented is you have to choose. You've got to decide which one you're going to love because you can't love both. You either love others or you love yourself, but you can't have it both ways. No, no, no. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. Jesus certainly didn't teach that. That wasn't the point of Paul's writings when he talks about loving one another and encouraging one another and bearing one another's burdens and all that. He wasn't saying you got to pick. This is not about choosing which one you want to love. Again, it's a package deal. God loves every one of us while still loving each of us as if there were only one of us. And we're able to love others because of the way God loves us. We were made in the image of God. He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. And so, to not love yourself is a slap in the face to the one who created you and died for you. Anytime you doubt your value, Go back and look at creation and go back and look at the cross. Those two events show just how valuable you are. And there's nothing wrong with loving that and loving yourself in turn. And once we learn to see ourselves the way God sees us, we begin to see other people the same way, right? If you keep up with me on Facebook, I asked yesterday if any of my Abilene friends had a bicycle wheel. And many of you, I'm sure, were wondering, okay, well, what's this about? And I said on the Facebook post, I don't need the bike. I just need the wheel. And many of you came through telling me, oh, I've got one if you want to borrow it, which is kind of weird that all of y'all have a bicycle wheel hanging, <laughs> laying around your house. But anyway, my neighbor who watches us online and may be watching us this morning, thank you, Robert and Brenda, they came over with, with a bicycle wheel. I think it's a good illustration of what we've been talking about this morning. You think about the tire being the world. And we're surrounded by the world, right? I mean, whether we like it or not, we live in the world, we function in the world. We may not like the direction the world is going, but the reality is we live in it and it surrounds us. But then you have the spokes. Do you know who the spokes represent? They represent the church collectively, but they also represent you. You are a spoke in this wheel. You make it turn. However, what's the spokes connected to? The middle. What's the middle, do you think? Any guess? Yeah, God. You don't have a wheel without the middle. You don't have a wheel without God. But then you have the spokes that are connected to the center, to the middle, which is God. And then the world is surrounding them. But the wheel doesn't work properly without these elements, right? 
Some people say, well, I don't mind being a spoke. I love being connected to God. I just don't want to be connected to other people. Sorry, you can't do that. That's not scriptural. I love God. I just don't like the church. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Sorry. You got to love the things that God loves. God loves the church. Jesus died for it. So you have the spokes. You have the world, but you have the spokes that collectively make up the church that also individually represent you. Because like we said a couple of weeks ago, there is an I in team. Absolutely there is. And you are that I that makes up this collective body that loves God, that loves others, and that hopefully loves yourself. You value being created by God and being someone that was rescued because God saw you valuable enough to send his son to die for you. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning. I know that COVID has done a number on us, both physically and even spiritually. I know I've communicated with some of you that are here and some that are online that have talked about just the the collateral damage of COVID, not being together, not having that fellowship, of course, being sick themselves and, you know, dealing with the loss of a loved one. And do you need, do you need strength this morning? Do you need prayer? Do you need hope? Are you ready to become a disciple? Ready to put on Christ in baptism? I don't know where you're at this morning, but we want to help you. We want to help you going forward. We want to help you love yourself. Love Jesus, love others. Jim's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you in any way, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.